0: A warm welcome to the latest episode of Talking Golf with me, Hugh Marr.
1: At the end of the day, the person has to use this instrument. They gotta like the look, they gotta like the sound, they gotta like the feel. And when you're a Turing pro, your money is made with that putter. You're gonna use that putter more than any other club in the bag, and you better darn well like it.
0: Welcome back to Talking Golf, and I'm delighted to say that someone I've been trying to get on the show for a long time is uh, Scotty Cameron, and I'm sat here in his uh, in studio in California and wanted to hear a little bit about his journey as a golf club designer, putter designer. Mm. Where did it all begin, Scotty?
1: Well, Hugh, thanks for having me. No, it's a pleasure. Um, it's great
0: to have you. Thank you.
1: We are just talking about friends and how people meet and through golf, You and I met through Paul Casey, who has been a friend forever, and uh, met him through Peter Costas. Yeah. So it's funny how how things come to be.
0: Both have been on the podcast.
1: Really? Yeah. Really? Both great people. Yes. And I enjoy hanging with nice people, fun people. A lot of people ask me, hey, who was the greatest guy you ever worked with, and who was the worst guy? But... I've been around quite a long time and I've met some wonderful people. But Paul Casey, as we played Hugh last year, right, yeah. is a genuine gentleman of a guy. And boy can he play the game. Oh yeah. He can certainly play the game. Holy cow. Holy I was impressed. But putting putters, my studio here. Hugh, thanks for visiting me. I have a new line coming out, and nobody's ever seen it. And main reason is is the competition is around this. Territory here mm-hmm. of Carlsbad, and technology's gotten so good with cameras and, and taking photographs. Mm-hmm. And by the time I want to hit the market with this at Show in January, if it's compromised and seen, it can be knocked off, and it can be in the public's eye prior to me bringing my own product out
0: such as the competition in the industry now.
1: Yeah, yeah, so you can go to a trade show in uh, January. The big one is in Mm -hmm. Orlando, Florida, PGA trade show. That's where we introduce new products, but then they normally get released right before the masters, let's say April 1st. So you've got, what, three and a half months there of taking a picture and introducing to somebody hitting the market before you with cameras and can be sent overseas via a text, an email. So I'm very secretive about this, but today is the first day that we are bringing out this new product. I've been showing ideas and thoughts, but not a finished product to touring pros coming through the studio, Mm -hmm. picking their brains of, they come here to, to learn what's best for them and what's the ball doing and what weight should I have? What length should I have? Or are my arms long? Should I use a a shorter length putter? And Mm -hmm. if I do so, where are my eyes? And simply, we can answer those questions. We've been doing it now 25 years in the studio here. And we have all the technology and cameras. So we listen. We don't push. Wherever they want to go with this, we go. We're not pushing. We're not selling. We're not promoting. What are we going to do to make you better, and it's not me, it's you, but how can we dial in a putter towards you?
0: So you, you presumably design initial concepts, and then as the players come through here, and you have players of all standards coming through here from elite junior players to the very best in the world, their opinions help you refine the product to the point where it becomes something that at some stage you may or may not introduce to the market? Would that be a...
1: Very much. Because I have thoughts. I'm a dreamer, inventor. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm an avid golfer. Mm -hmm. And I have thoughts. And it's funny when I had one a while back come in and he uh, took me by surprise, Ricky Fowler. He was saying some things that I had in my mind, but I didn't think that most golfers thought about it. For example, face height of a putter. My personal design opinion is if it's too tall, it's cumbersome. If it's too shallow, I feel like I could top it. Yep. So the face height, what is optimum and why? But he made a comment and it stuck with me. It was, if the face is too shallow, Yeah. I feel I have to come up on it to hit it in the center sweet spot. Okay. If it's way too deep, I feel I have to forward press it and close the face downwards to hit the center of the face. So face height is critical for a visual.
0: Would that be something that you would see changing from player to player?
1: Not so much.
0: Because presumably the deeper the face, the more the height, the more loft you see. Correct. Which would then result in you feeling, or the player feeling, that they have to
1: forward press it,
0: de loft that to middle it.
1: Right on track. So, as a putter looks a certain way, it makes the golfer do something with it. And a lot of times I try to cheat the eye of making you do something that you normally. For example, if you had a driver and it was a square and you had a big heel on a driver, mm-hmm. it would make you take it back more square or outside. Yeah, that influence sh- the light. Shaving that heel allows you to get it to the inside and get on the proper plane. So forget about the feel and the sound. Mm. First, you have to look at it. And first, when you pick it up, you got to kind of like it or else you're going to put it down right away. So yeah. the goal is from the look, then you pick it up. Okay, kind of got you going. The look is important, but the feel of the grip, the feel of the grip has to match the head because if it's way too big or way too small, your first reaction from that feel is, I don't like this. So you never want a grip to be the first thing that's a negative reaction. So I've worked on a new grip for this new line of putters that is quite unique. I find ideas from everywhere. I'm walking through a Home Depot, and I was buying a new hammer for my daughter's new condo. (laughs) And so I'm buying her a set of tools and I'm picking out a hammer for my daughter and uh, this hammer had a pistol grip in it and it felt so good. Some of the old putters in the old days had pistol grips. So it's nothing new whatsoever, but it reminded me of old great grips from a hammer. So it's 8.30 in the evening, I'm walking through Home Depot in a putting stance with a hammer in my hands. And I'm sure security probably in the camera saw it was a whack job. <laughs> It felt right. So I thought, how can I, so I bought the hammer, brought it back into the shop and tried to understand why do I feel this? Why do I like this? And how do I put it into a golf grip? So now we did so and uh, it's on this new product. It's not weird because weird you, the first reaction be it's weird. It's weird, yeah. So I'm intrigued with the feel of the grip as it enhances the head of the putter. Mm-hmm. So the head of the putter is quite unique. We uh, really started way back with the Futura putter, yeah. if you remember, had the big horseshoe mm-hmm. on the back. And that was simply in my studio way back then, maybe 15 years ago of, I was known as a blade guy, mm-hmm. heel and toe, Newport, Newport two kind of guy, and a wonderful gentleman, Wally Uline, mm-hmm. who was my boss. Mm-hmm. And he's CEO of Tideless, and he made a comment. It stuck with me. It said, you know, not everybody is a mallet guy. You're a great blade guy, but the issue is I can do mallets, and I think I can do mallets with the best of them. So he put this challenge into my head. Hey, you're not really a mallet guy. And I'm like, wait a minute. I am a mallet guy. I'll show you. But then he also said, you're more of a classic kind of blade guy. I thought in my head, no, 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 no. I can do far out, high-tech, unique, but prove things, yep. prove about weight distribution, moment of inertia. So anyhow, way back then, I had had my studio. I worked for Tideless. Yep. He's my boss, but he planted these things in my head, and I was gonna show this guy, my <laughs> boss, that I could. So the Futuro is one of those, hey, it's a thought. How do we do it better? How do we get off-center hits to be more online? Mm-hmm. So I have this in my think tank workshop putter studio way back when and Phil Mickelson was signed with titles at the time and he came in he would come in every six months and he's a thinker, big thinker. of. So I showed him this putter that was right-handed and it had the horseshoe in the back and moment of inertia and getting the weight back and out towards the toe and heel and he had a thought and he goes I've had this thought in my head this makes proper sense can you do it in left-handed? And I'm like, well, it's not even ready yet. It's an idea. And he goes, no, 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 I want to try it. Darn if he doesn't take it out and wins uh, the Bob Hope Mm -hmm. Desert Classic with this product. And we brought it to market and it did extremely well. At that time, Scott Hoke won with it, Rory, it was me getting out of my comfort zone of classic blades and getting yeah. into mallets, but taking it high tech. So long story, Hugh. This is a product that started back then, but refined, still high tech. But that old Futura looked pretty bizarre.
0: That's I said earlier, I've still got one in the garage with a pistol grip on it. No Believe it or not.
1: So this is the best of that time, and the best of this time, and the best of materials, lightweight materials, heavy materials where you need it for off-center hits. And listening to guys like uh, Ricky Fowler, and he's a young guy, he shouldn't have these kinds of thoughts. And he's really smart, really bright. He makes his living at golf, he looks at a golf club every day, he probably has some thoughts yeah. and when they come into the studio i try to ask questions and learn something yeah. so this was some of his thoughts and a lot of players thoughts and through the year i've been asking these guys when they come back in hey is this a height is so the, the height of the face but the top line is it rolled because if it's rolled it melts to the ground but if the top line's flat it looks like a brick and it's not very appealing to the eye. Yep. So it's sharp and blocky and clunky versus rolled, soft, roly-poly.
0: But this, this is where, as an industry, whether it's coaching, whether it's club design, we've become so consumed with technology and the science behind the equipment, why players behave the way they do, why they perform the way they do, that we're, as an industry, losing the art of the game of golf. Mm-hmm. And it strikes me, listening to you talk here, that the art is almost more important to you than the science.
1: But it's a blend of both. It's very important. But what I don't like is computer-generated drawings that don't have feel. I think a person can add the feel and the eye, but the computers can add all of the high-tech, where the weight should be, how far back. And uh, with that blend of technology, then you can start to dial in materials and sound and feel. At the end of the day, the person has to use this instrument. They gotta like the look, they gotta like the sound, they gotta like the feel, and when you're a touring pro, your money is made with that putter. You're gonna use that putter more than any other club in the bag, and you better darn well like it.
0: How many guys who play for a living do you think are using equipment that isn't suited to them?
1: Oh, goodness, many.
0: And why is that? Is that because manufacturers are pushing them towards certain products, or is that because they're just looking for some magic pill that's going to make them put well this week?
1: Both. Again, as I said, when they come in the studio, I'm not pushing anything. Where do you want to go? What do you yeah. want to do? The ultimate, when they leave here, is gain confidence and know they have the right tool in their hand. So when they do get on a major or a event, and then they're under the gun there's a trust because they've been in they've seen it on the cameras they understand it and it's very simple it either works or it doesn't but you gotta show me and if I don't have the cameras in high-tech I can't show you because I can't slow it down It happens too fast so the technology there is huge for the guys to come see me enables me to ask key questions to design better products So I'm excited about this new Phantom X.
0: Phantom X.
1: Phantom X. It uh, is black, but the lines on there for the sight is of a, supposed to be yellow, but a fluorescent yellow turns a bit of green. Mm -hmm. But a sight on a rifle or a gun is always, I've noticed, fluorescent orange or fluorescent yellow. So the sights on a putter would make sense, to have a bright color to help for the alignment. Here I remember I was on the Golf Digest or whatever it was of the gold medal awards for design. So that year I had a putter out and it was beautiful. And uh, in the LA scene, cars were, they called them murdered out. It was black, black, black. and just dropped on the ground. It was cool. So I thought, how can I take that and put it into a putter? And I did a putter years back and it was picked up to be used at this testing and it won the gold medal Mm -hmm. and all the reviews on this were feel and sound and look and um, was great but there was one and it hit me somebody said on the test panel it makes no sense because I had a flat black putter and the sight line was shiny black to show up it makes no sense to have a black sight line on a black putter but it was cool. (laughs) So I always remember that. So the only thing I got beat up on was a sight line being black on black. And it, you know, it hit home because it made sense. But a lot of people don't want a sight line glaring at them. They want to know it's there, but they don't want it to be distracting. You know, I always try to learn. And that one kind of knocked me in the nose of makes no sense, but it was cool. There's no right, there's no wrong. But this new sight color it does jump and it does help you align towards the whole.
0: How much of, I'm interested to talk about the, this thing going on, the, the LA car scene at the time. How much did fashion, the fashion of the time affect your designs?
1: Huge. Okay. I just got back uh, a few weeks ago from, in Las Vegas, there's a car show where all of the aftermarket people meet. Yeah. It's called SEMA. So what is a putter golf guy doing at a car show? Well, hang on. Finishes. Okay. Vibration dampening so you don't hear road noise or sound. These materials I use in the putters from rubber from tires to vibration sound deadening things that you would use on the inside of the interior so you don't hear road noise. Mm -hmm. Colors. What are trends? Candy apple, candy apple reds. Flat blacks polishing, chroming, techniques, welding, all in cars, I go there to see what's new and how can I put that into my putters to make them sound better, feel better, perform better, look better. So I try to learn and put everything I can into my craft putter making. And
0: and do you think that when it gets to market that a lot of the consumers are, maybe unwittingly, but a lot of the consumers are attracted by something that is fashionable.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And
0: what dictates that fashion? Obviously, there's, there's numerous stories over the years of McGregor selling out of that, I think it was the response putter when, when Nicholas won in 86 at Augusta. Sure. How much of the market is driven by fashion versus what is happening in tour events or sure. majors?
1: Both. You're right on track, Hugh. I have staff at every single tour event. Mm-hmm. In the UK, I have a, Henry, which you know well.
0: The great Henry Barnes. Yeah,
1: he's my putter tour rep for Tideless, Scotty Cameron. I have one in Korea, I have one uh, Rocky in Japan, and I have two traveling the US. And every single week they're out there on the side of the putting green showing the wares of Scotty Cameron Tideless putters. And we get those into play, and the best players in the world use them. And a lot of them come in here in the off-season or during the season when they're in town, West Coast Swing. And I get to pick their brain on, okay, why are you using a camera? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? It's too shiny, it's too dull, black on black. I just try to learn so I can do a better job when it comes time for my next putter line like the Phantom X.
0: See, I find it interesting that you have a much more personal relationship with the people using your product than the vast majority of players and manufacturers do. I don't see this kind of, this interaction to the extent that you do with, whether it's a Ricky Fowler or a Paul Casey or whoever comes through the door today. I don't see that.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Maybe that's part of the secret.
1: Well, the studio here was built. I had uh, been intrigued and I thought way back when, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, if I'm going to make the best players for the best players in the world, I better have my shit together. You know? It's very true. And what works, don't blow smoke, have your facts ready. And I had a player come to me, Gene Sowers, way back when. Really? He said, Scotty, I love your putter, I've been using it for a while, but I have a forward press. Do I need more loft? Or during the stroke, and coming forward at impact, does that change? So first off, do I need any loft because of my forward press? And during the stroke and coming forward at impact, does that change? Does, I could not answer. Does the
0: shaft lean increase more exactly. from address to impact?
1: So static versus dynamic. Yep. And what loft do I need? Great question. Now, most people think putters don't have loft because you roll it along the ground. Mm -hmm. And the fact is by experimenting in high speed video Mm -hmm. and learning what actually happens at impact was mind blowing. So I set up this studio because I was so, I'm a golfer and I have all these questions. Is there a loft? Should you have loft? Does the ball roll? Does the ball skid? Can you cut a putt? Can you hook a putt? Is, the perfect ball position in the middle of your stance, back of your stance, front of your stance, what happens during the stroke? Is a stroke square to square? Is there an arc to the stroke? All these questions I had in my head, I needed to answer and uh, I signed on with Mm Titlist and we merged my little company into theirs and I became their putter maker. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to answer these questions to go out to have the facts and not the theories what truly happened, so when Gene Sowers asked me that, I got answers, I'm not blowing smoke. It was mind blowing to see what truly happened and nobody really had done high speed video on a putter. So simply said, I call it the art of putting, it is the player affects the putter and the putter affects a golf ball backwards. The ball is affected by the putter and the putter is affected by the player and how do they come together? Where is the mm-hmm. perfect ball position? Where is the shaft angle at address, shaft angle at impact? Is there a lease to the putter? Is it square to square? So the best players came in because it was word of mouth. I've never advertised, and it was mind-blowing to them of getting the facts. So Titleist, when I signed with them, I had these thoughts, and they were able to fund, at the time, a young kid with a dream of wanting to know more and uh, through the years of opening this studio, I can tell you all you want, but for you to see it is massive. In your head to understand it, it's so simple if you have the right (coughs) tools to show them. So Tideless has been a huge, uh, it's been a great company to work with, to work for, but they've allowed me to dream Mm -hmm. and I'm a dreamer, I'm a design guy and I'm a doer. I'm still intrigued with how can I do this better?
0: Okay, so let's, let me ask you a couple of questions now. But if, if you wake up at 3 o'clock tomorrow morning with a new idea, mm-hmm. which I suspect has happened many times over your life, what's the process that takes that idea from you waking up in the middle of the night to getting a prototype that players can give you feedback on, can comment on, can start to use?
1: So I can come the next morning, and in my putter studio across the way, I have the barn, which is my tour department, I have milling machines. I have lathes to turn round parts. I have welding. And it starts with a thought. So that thought at 3 a.m., I can hack this together. I can. It's not pretty, but I can take that theory I had at 3 a.m. and get it where I can putt with it in the studio within hours. Again, I just need to prove a point in my head because I have a thought. And then after that, if it it works out that it's correct and take it further. Then I sit with my engineers and then say, okay, this is what I want. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I need. Then we get it onto the computer. Then we can send it out, put a block of steel onto the mill. So I can do it by hand, or I can do it uh, through computerized um, CNC milling machines. Really at that point, I just want to prove a thought because if there's something there, let's put it into a product that I can share with a player. So then we go from the block of steel to making a few samples or prototypes. I call them experimentals. And then I'll call up some friends and say, Hey, I got a thought here. Tell me your thoughts. Am I crazy? And then they use it and play with it and say, okay, I love this. But what about this? What about that? So yeah, it turns from a thought from a hammer that turns into a grip, that turns into a, not the product, but an enhancement to the product being the grip versus the head.
0: And that can be turned around in next to no time.
1: Nowadays with computer milling machines, yes, but the thing that a lot of people don't know, the tooling to hold that block of steel at the angles of the sole, of the toe, of the heel, of the top, of the back, So the blocks have to... I've never made a putter overseas. I've always made it in the U.S.
0: And that continues to be the case?
1: 100%. So people say, why is it so expensive? Well, I have two milling buildings, and uh, we run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, milling blocks of steel that I keep an eye on because the quality is everything. And they're precise and it's expensive, but I'll guarantee you it's the best damn putter on the market, hands down, because we take the time to do it right. So I don't send it overseas. And and not that they don't do a great job, but I'm not overseas, I'm here. Uh, So I just wanna make sure when my name goes on a product, it's damn good.
0: Where does putter design go now? We talked a little bit about it earlier that it seems to have been a All the efforts of the manufacturers seem to be in the sexy side, into drivers, golf balls, more forgiving irons, hybrids. And putter design, I mean, go back to, I guess, the bullseye was late 40s. That's probably the first recognised putter design. Then Carson Solheim's answer, 66. One that I picked out was Ram Zebra, 76. Then 86, curiously enough, was Jack Nicklaus with his response. And then it was another sort of, I guess, maybe 15 years before two ball became a big thing. Why is putter design and technology not as much, or it appears to me, not to be as much of, at the forefront of the manufacturer's mind than drivers?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. The putter, back when I got into this and some of the products you had mentioned are great products mm. but also you mentioned those products, how they get popular really on tour. Yeah. So the bullseye What's funny, it was designed by John Ruder. That's right, yeah. And he was a putter guy. He was head of the PGA in Scottsdale, Arizona. Golf guy, 64 years old, whittling on his porch with a bar of brass because it was soft enough that he could whittle to get a shape. And the round area in that bullseye putter is his round tail file that he got weight out of so he could balance that and get weight out of the back so he could balance it and get the sweet spot in the center. I'm intrigued with the history of how they do it then, why'd they do it, and can I do it better? So I'm intrigued with the classics. But I was then hired to follow up the John Reuter bullseye, Wally Uline line we yep. talked about, hired me to take the, John Reuter had passed away quite a few years ago and he says, he was our putter guy, we need another putter guy. He knew Peter Costas. Yep. Peter Kostas said, I just got a putter from this young kid in California. He gets it. So he Wally Uline gave me a call, came out to see me, and it's how funny how things come around. Yeah, but Peter Kostas was a big influence on me and Titleist, and where we are today.
0: Amazing, isn't it? Such a small world. So we're next for Scotty Kerman and putter design?
1: Well, I'm intrigued with materials and... The problem is, Hugh, that materials are costly. And the problem there is I don't like to be limited to design something from costs. I'm one to say, okay, forget about the cost. How can we design the best? Then when we design the best, how can we afford to bring it to market? So I like to design cool stuff, and a lot of those things that get too expensive I have a gallery in Encinitas and one in Tokyo where we have some cool stuff. But to market for the average pro shop, they're limited on how much they can sell products for. So we figure out instead of carbon fiber, we can do aluminum. So the weight-weight ratio. So we try to get creative. We have to bring it at a certain point. So materials are huge. But... We have new rules of the uh, USGA, 2019, January, and I've been studying the books on putters because I wanna stretch the limits and I wanna be barely legal, but they are governing what we can do, how far we can go to keep the game, a gentleman's game and on track, and I respect that. But I think as a putter guy, my job is to stretch those limits, barely be legal, and that's gonna be in the future materials, weight distribution. But remember, you can't go too far because you have the USGA, you gotta account mm-hmm. too. And as materials get better and computers and programs and milling machines get better as we go on, I wake up on every Monday morning and I'm excited to come to work with who I'm gonna meet like you, mm-hmm. who I'm gonna talk with like a Ricky Fowler's coming in this Friday. And uh, what are we? We're on a Wednesday, and he's in in two days. And the stuff we talked about six months ago, he's gonna know that I listened because I'm gonna hand it to him, and he's gonna say, "I didn't think you were."
0: Well, Scotty, I'm gonna thank you for your time. Every time I come here and speaking to you and Bill and Hank and Steve Pelisek earlier, I just—it's great to be surrounded by guys with such a passion for the game of golf. And I think the. For the game of golf to continue to thrive and survive, that passion is 100% necessary. So I wish you the best of luck with your new products. Hopefully we'll get you back on the podcast at some time soon, maybe drag you out from sunny California to Europe at some point.
1: Boy, I I love hanging out with golf guys, and everybody has their own thoughts and opinions, but I enjoy hanging and talking golf with you, Hugh. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Scotty. Take care.